Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And if you've listened to this podcast before, I, I say that line quite frequently. Uh, I'm Sam Parada. This is Dan Rudman. But you guys, you guys might not even know who we are, what we do. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe you know who, who we are personally. Maybe you are in India and you're listening to this because I think there's a number of people who listen in India and you guys really don't know who we are. <laughs> but I live in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, Dan lives in Lawrence, Kansas, just south of Lawrence, Kansas. And we, we both work with uh, an organization called Ambassadors for Christ International. But you can really just think of Ambassadors for Christ as this, as this fellowship of men who have been called to preach and teach the Word of God and, and really operate as, as itinerant type evangelists. And so we find this, this great fellowship with this, this organization of Ambassadors for Christ. But we all kind of do our own li- uh, ministries where we're located uh, and we have men, a number of us have uh, an international type ministry too. Obviously, the coronavirus has totally shut down international ministry for who knows how long. And man, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody who listens to this is probably somewhat aware of current events. Like, you know, I've been hearing about things, talk of too, of like, if you don't have like a medical passport type thing where you have proof of certain vaccinations or the coronavirus vaccinations, that you might not even be able to travel. So, there's just like weird things coming on, you know, with the future of, of, I, you know, I'm thinking about it in ministry. Like, are we like Dan and I, Dan has so graciously allowed me to come to Africa with him to go to Egypt and Ethiopia. And I'm thinking like, man, are we going to even be able to get over there in the future? <laughs> like with all this stuff going on. Yeah. But yeah. So right now I'm, I'm in the middle of seminary. I do seminary online at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So You've probably noticed, if you're a frequent listener, that I'm very sporadic with our episodes. Sometimes I'm pretty, like, I can be good with releasing a new episode every week for a a couple months, and all of a sudden, boom, there's no new episodes. And you're probably like, what's going on? And it's probably because I just got really busy with seminary, um, and I just don't have any time to make any new content. So right now, I just finished my semester up, uh, the fall semester concluded. So now I have a month and a half until the spring semester starts. So that means I have time to have these wonderful discussions with Dan. Uh, Dan, why don't you just say a couple things about about you? I yeah, mean, I no, kind of talked on behalf of both of us, but no, it's good. It's been fun. Um, you know, so I'm. What's fun? What strikes me every time I get with Sam is just realize, like, okay, so he's in his twenties, single guy for all you young gals out there, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> who knows how many young gals are listening? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and and, uh, uh, and he's smart and handsome, and he's a Renaissance man. But I'm uh, like sixty. And I have five grown kids, a few of them older than Sam, and I have six grandkids. And so I've been in this kind of uh, um, Christian evangelistic preaching, teaching ministry for 35 years. And so what's been really fun is like, though I do some technological stuff, I'm low tech. Like I don't get this (laughs) stuff. So it's been fun because obviously Sam's from a generation that this is like, like the back of his hand stuff. And so when he invited me, this is just like awesome to be able to participate, right? So what's so fascinating, I think I would want people to understand is here's a guy, think about this, here's a guy, and we could even go more radical examples from different cultures and everything. But one of the things that you'll pick up in all our conversations, and I think you said, Sam, we've done like 50 hours of stuff together now. Oh, yeah. If not 60, you know, yeah, we're getting up there. Yeah. And so we got a lot more planned in our minds and on, on paper. But... um 
here are men virtually almost well 35 years apart two generate yeah. uh, two generations different walks of life literally you know millennial generation whatever i am it doesn't matter but the point <laughs> be, the point be is is that we're both fixated if i could use that word mm-hmm. on the reality that god is really exists and he really spoke to us and mm-hmm. so Two plus two is four for Sam, and two plus two is four for me. And so, right. what, so when we're here interacting, what you're getting is you're getting, if you will, though I'm probably young at heart, people would say, I am an old guy. And you're getting this young guy, and we're interacting about the scripture that brings us together. And it's the same thing we've experienced when we go to other cultures, where I've invited Sam to come along, and he's done a wonderful job ministering to these other cultures. But... My classic example is a guy over in Ethiopia who came up to me that was, at the time was 106 years old. It was crazy. <laughs> and here is a guy from the mountains of Ethiopia, 106 years old, and you get together with him. And how could it be? Think about this. Really, you got to get your mind around this, and especially younger generations that you're used to a pluralistic world. But recognize this. Here's a guy from the mountains. Doesn't know anything about T-ball or trophies or McDonald's or nothing. Nothing. Nothing like that. But he has a Bible, mm-hmm. and he, we literally can get together, and I can teach, and he could teach, and we are singing off the same song page, and we mm-hmm. come up with the same conclusion that two plus two is four. And the point being is that these things that we're talking about for Sam and I, uh, and I know this goes way beyond introduction, but my point is I want people to get a flavor of that. Like what we're coming together with is we really believe that God speaks in the scriptures. And so right. we're unfolding the scriptures on a variety of topics. And, right. And, and what we're trying to do is say, because this is pre- probably why, how God brought us together. We both see things out in our world, particularly, let's say, the Western culture that seem to get these this energy and they want to amalgamate or connect themselves to Christianity or bring some other idea or voice in. And both Sam and I are going, but wait a minute, if you start with the Bible, you don't end up there. And so, (laughs) and so we're always going, and it doesn't matter if you're a 24 and a millennial or if you're 60, that's my point. And so just since people can't see us, just know that that's kind of the flavor. Uh, You know, we have some things, we both like the outdoors, so that makes it easy to combat, you know, we have some things that are similar to e- for each of us, so we get a chance to you know enjoy each other. And there's something about when we get together that there's a a, a a common say a synergy, or we can communicate with each other and have fun with this thing. And so that's yeah. a, that says a little bit. I, I don't know if that's what you're getting at. No, hey, that's exactly what I wanted. And one other thing I throw out there real quick, just for the world that's listening, because I, somebody has told me this. Like, I've had people my age tell me, I don't even know what that word is. You just used the word earlier. Like, you said, we're itinerants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so itinerant just means traveling. It means, like, we're not specifically a local pastor of a local church. Not that we haven't right. done lots of pastoral ministry in our lives. And some of our guys with AFCI have even taken residence at a church for like a year. We have a guy doing that right now that's helping a church go through a transition. And he's kind of the interim, it's called, like temporary right. pastor for them. So we can do those roles, but technically uh, we are not full-time pastors of one church. We minister to maybe a variety of churches or a variety of ministries, though each one of us would have a local assembly that we are accountable to. That is correct. our church per se, our local group of elders that we kind of align with and and submit to 
Right. Which right. should be true for every Christian. Uh, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> but AFCI really is. We are we are preacher teachers centered on you know proclaiming the gospel. There's a variety of aspects of that. Uh, revival, mm-hmm. revival in the church, evangelism through the church, training for the church worldwide. So when yep. Sam, Sam and I go to other cultures, for example, we're we're teaching evangelism. Church planning is really the center of it, which includes spiritual mm-hmm. leadership, which includes some apologetics against you know, in contrast to other religions that a lot of these people in other countries are contending with. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's an authority of God's word. And mm-hmm. God informs us on these issues. So, Perfect. Okay. I thought that was great. All right. <laughs> so there's a little brief introduction again. If you've been listening, you're like, man, I don't know who the heck these people are. Um, maybe you like what we're saying. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But there's a there's an introduction. So that that is a conclusion on that. Now we're going back to what we've been talking about. We're in a series. Uh Again, like I said, we've taken a break from the series for a while now. One, because of, I've been busy with seminary. Two, because, you know, Dan mentioned we do have some things in common hobby-wise, and one of those things is deer hunting. <laughs> and November, if you know anything about bow hunting or deer hunting in general, November is what's called the rut, and it's it's one of the best times to shoot a deer. So we like to do some hunting uh, during the month of November, and, and so – that we might put the podcast stuff aside for a little bit, but now it's December. I didn't shoot a deer. Dan shot a giant deer. Um, I still have hopes to shoot one later in December. Um, but nonetheless, we're coming back. We're hitting again, finishing up this discussion on manhood and womanhood. And if I remember right, what we have at title is man and woman. It's God's idea. Like we, we started with, if you've, if you've, Listen to some episodes in this series. We started with what we call hermeneutics. How do we interpret our Bibles? Because, again, like Dan and I have been saying, we believe that God has spoken and he's spoken authoritatively to us and he's revealed knowledge to us, truth to us. True truth. And a part of this revelation of the scriptures is he's told us how he created man and woman (laughs) and for what reason he created man and woman. And the roles he's created men and women to live in, and in this incredible thing, and he's he's revealed this to us. He's told us this. So, when we come to this discussion on what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, is there a difference? Is there some you know? Is there some similarities? Or what's going on here? Well, the scriptures have spoke. They've spoken on this. God's revealed knowledge about this topic of man and woman, and so what the scriptures tell us about man and woman is truth, and we must submit to what the scripture says and we must conform our lives to it because God is revealing truth. So we talked about how we correctly interpret our bibles because here we have a bible, we have we have all these words, we have these propositional statements and it has meaning in it. And so we need to interpret this to come to the correct meaning. And so we talked about those principles that we might use or that we do use to come to a correct interpretation. And, and Sam, Sam, can I emphasize one thing there as people yep, are listening yep. to that? Um, I'm wondering, because I know you said there's a number of people in other uh, countries around the world that are listening to us. Yeah. So, so I don't always know all of their influences. But here, what we call the West, like the United yeah. States, Europe, but the West, there's this huge influence of an uh, ideology, of a way of thinking that we put kind of in this camp, this box called postmodernism. 
And yep. I'm, I'm not really going down a deep road, so everybody's hanging with me. All I'm saying is that one of the things that comes out of that is this great suspicion that we can't interpret things, that we're locked up in a relativistic world, meaning like you can come up with your truth, I'd come up with my truth, but we really can't get to the truth. It's, it, right. it's, it's difficult somehow. And then that mm -hmm. gets applied to the scriptures. And what we're saying in this hermeneutical principle is even behind the hermeneutical principle is a God, the true, living, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God who mm. clearly wants me to have knowledge. He gave Correct. knowledge to Adam. He gave knowledge to Eve. He gives us knowledge. He wants me to have it. It's not hidden in some secret Morse code that I've no. got to do this pretzel dance sophistication to come up with it. <laughs> And it's so disturbing to me. I'm listening to Christians all over the West, at least here, making these complicated conversations. Like there's a guy that wrote a 700-page book. Like somehow you're supposed to read 700 pages to answer some biblical question we call justification. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not that hard. It's, it's, it's like God, because who God is, he wants me to understand things. And so he spelled out all sorts of stuff really clearly, really clearly. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some nuanced differences sometimes. That's why we have some different denominations sometimes. But mm -hmm. those are they're really subtle, simple things that aren't that big of a deal. Right. And so Sam and I could go to Egypt or Ethiopia with not only cross-culturally and all sorts of different languages, but like 20 or 30 different denominations. And we can do a conference and open up the scriptures and it speaks to everybody. Yep. It's not that difficult. And so I just want to emphasize that with you when you're talking about this. It's not just like now we're locked up in this methodology that we have to figure out. Right. Hermeneutics really is just saying, what's God telling us here? Yeah. And it's yeah. pretty straightforward. I mean, there's some principles and rules that you went through that are very valuable. I tell people to go back and listen to it. But it basically just means how do you interpret something? And kind of, you know, a verb means a verb. And there's a context. <laughs> and there's a sentence. And it fits yeah. into a context. And you pretty much can come up with the answer. And we even have a historic doctrine out of the Reformation called the perspicuity of Scripture. Fancy word for basically means... It pretty much means what you think it means when you read it straightforward. <laughs> I mean, like... It's not that hard. And so it's not that hard. But we've turned this thing into like, well, you gotta read three books to be able to understand this. Well, no, you don't. You really don't. Really don't. No. No. So, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's exact that's exactly right. And that's good. Because <laughs> you know, in this is uh, there's there's many reasons why this is such a relevant topic right now. I mean, this is the topic in a sense right now. Like the, the definition of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, uh, sexual ethics, identity stuff, this is the stuff that is, you know, under assault right now. It's serious. Like, it's serious. Like, I honestly, like, if you're, if you're unaware of this, like, for me to say, like, for me to actually say that, that there is no such thing that, there be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. That is, that doesn't exist. That's just somebody living in their sinful flesh and living in a delusion. Like that's not real. Transgenderism is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Like that type of stuff. Like that's that we're so close to that actually being considered hate speech and then punishable by law. We're close. It's actually happening in Europe right now. 
especially in Germany, where where guys will be doing like a podcast like we're doing right here in America, and the police break down the door and arrest them because they're talking about biblical things. Like, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's weird. It's like, oh, you're getting all weird on me. And it's like, no, I mean, prepare for your, uh, you know, prepare, prepare for this. Like, these things that are just so clear and yeah. so easy to understand in the scriptures are actually like, we're on the verge of them being like illegal. For me to say a man's a man, a woman's a woman. If you're born a biological man, you're a bi- you're a man. You're a man spiritually. You're a, you know your spirit is man. Your your biology is a man. You're a man. You can't be a woman. Like, <gasps> that's hate speech. No, it's not. <laughs> that's truth. And if you don't, if you want to live contrary to truth, then you're going to live a pretty miserable life, and then eventually, you're going to have to. F- face the judgment of God for that because he made you a man so or he made you a woman so all that to say again this is really 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 relevant and and where we're at so far in the series is we talked about hermeneutics we went through Genesis 1 through 3 we talked about the creation of man and woman how did God fundamentally design a man and how did he fundamentally design a woman we saw that God made Adam from the dust of the earth and he and he he gave him this commandment and he and he told them uh, go out and work the garden tend the garden then he made woman from man for man and she's his suitable helper fit for him but then you see Satan coming in and, and tempting the woman going to the woman and, and and usurping God's divine order of authority and then we see chaos ensue and then yet we see throughout the Old Testament, we went through the Old Testament, picked out some things and said, look, though, the original design, the original pattern of man and woman was upheld. Yes, there was failure both by men and both by women. That's what we would expect in a fallen world now. And men and, and women are both going to do stupid, sinful, rotten things. But that doesn't mean that the pattern is now void or that the de- original design is now void for a man and a woman. So we went through the Old Testament, saw that the pattern is the same. God's design for man and woman is the same. Uh, and we we still have to live according to that design, even though we're s- sinful now. And then we went into the New Testament, showed the same thing with Jesus in the Gospels. We, we went through Acts, showed the same thing through Acts. Finally, we're to the, the New Testament epistles. And so we're coming to the the, the end, I, the, yeah, in a sense, the back end of our, our whole series now. Uh, and we're going to, what we're going to do from here on out, well, for a few episodes, is we're going to look at specific passages. Because now you have these these epistles, you have these letters written by the apostles to churches. And and the interesting thing about the genre of epistle, you can almost think about, about it as like an email. Like, there's a very linear, logical structure to it. And it's it's actually very easy to interpret in 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 a sense because it's it's very familiar to how we often write things today like an article or an email or a memo or something like that um and paul is addressing paul or peter or you know these 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 apostles they're addressing churches with congregations with with people in these congregations and part of the things that they address sometimes are the roles of men and women in the congregation and how are they are to act and how are they are to function and how they are to function you know with each other and things like that and how a man and a, you know what's the role of a, a husband in a marriage what's the role of a woman in a marriage 
What's the role of a man in the church? What's the role of a woman in the church? What can't a woman do in the church? What can a woman do in the church? What can't a man do in the church? What can a man do in the church? And so we have specific passages and sections of these epistles that talk specifically about the role of a man and a woman in both the family and and the church. And so that's where we're at. We're going to look at those. And this episode, we're going to look at, uh, there's two passages, you know, and we're not going to exhaust what the New Testament says about man and woman. Like, we can't exhaust it. We'd be here forever. Um, But we're going to talk about those passages that are are most explicit, you could say. So the first thing that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 11. Then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. (coughs) There's a passage there. Uh, And then, at least in this episode, we're going to conclude with uh, a passage from Galatians 3, verse 28, which actually isn't a passage talking about the role of man and woman. But we're talking about it because it's, it's, the, most, it's the most used verse or passage to try to show that there is no difference in the role of a man and a woman. <clears throat> and we have to talk about that because if this, if, if this verse is used as, a, as like a proof text to say, see... Men, men and, and man and woman have have no distinction in role. Like they're they should operate just the same, and they use this verse. Well, we got to go to that verse and see why do they use it, and are they using it improperly? And <clears throat> is this verse actually nullifying all the other verses and passages in Scripture that that speak explicitly about the role of man and woman? And is this single verse right here in Galatians three twenty eight is this actually nullifying the whole pattern? That is clearly displayed throughout the whole scriptures. And so that's a big deal. Like, remember, Dan and I mentioned in, in the previous podcast is like, we're at, the, we're at the point now where you need something extremely explicit to turn this ship around, in a sense. Like, yeah. and I, I, I think that's I good. said, like, yeah. you need it. You need, what people are doing is they're pulling rabbits out of hats. Like, they're, this, this thing is so clear and so obvious and grounded in creation. It's like, if you take a single verse, like, Galatians three twenty eight, and you're you're gonna say that that's turning this whole ship around. Like, what you're doing is you're just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It's not there. It's not actually talking about that. Well, and it's Sam, not even the yeah. And we we emphasize that. And again, it's been a uh, number of weeks since we did a podcast together. But there was another one where we emphasized this. So I won't kind of go through the, all my notes on that again. But yeah, just to emphasize it, because I was writing notes here as you're talking, like. Sure. What we've been doing here minimally is saying um, this is a four thousand year pattern, minimally mm-hmm. a four thousand year pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Moses wrote in seventeen hundred. We got Jesus uh, two thousand years ago. The point is, is we got four thousand year pattern here minimally, right? And all of these scriptures, uh, God has given us this revelation of sixty six books, forty some different mm-hmm. authors, blah blah blah. It's it's expansive. It covers a huge. A period of time of 1,500 years. And there's this perfect pattern and consistency from beginning to end of this reality of the roles of men and women and who God created man to be. And we've been covering that. That's what the, all of these podcasts have done. It said, here's this pattern. Here it is again. Here it is again. Here it is again. And so to overturn that, right, like you said, you're going to have to come up with some really explicit stuff Yeah. to literally overturn that. So, uh, to take some nuance of one verse and try to overturn the entirety of a 4,000-year 
picture starting in creation to the end is like you're gonna have to come up with something better than that yeah number one. and number, we'll see it we'll look at it yeah. we'll look at this verse you're gonna go right. what and then number like two how... <laughs> yeah so let me bring up another thing though when we get into this number two is that just understand this will be another conversation that we want to do on a podcast i think you and i've talked about it sam but understand that um from the beginning again if we follow our bible from beginning in what satan is always up been to do you gotta remember satan's not the creator right so mm-hmm. what he always does is he comes up with counterfeits everything every false thing is always almost like um a christian heresy because it's like taking something from the truth of god and distorting it yep so i was even thinking even religions you think of buddhism buddhism has this idea like all is one and there's no diversity so it gets to get everybody to do the same mantra do the same thing and become the same thing sameness you know right communism is a forced unity we're gonna the communist ideology based in marxism is we're gonna force this unity we're gonna force this thing uh, yep. though there's somebody that gets to force it so you end up with some kind of power structure that gets to yep <laughs> force this on everybody else you know the point is is none of it ever works that's all i want no. to say the counterfeits can never work so we have a new counterfeit of marriage which is really you know a mirage it's not real marriage you can't just put two people together a guy and a guy and call it a marriage i realize yeah. we do that in a legal sense but it's not it's just not it's not marriage it's not it's just not it's really not and no and so at the point of all that is that god gives us the true unity and diversity in the church and god gives us the true picture of marriage and god gives us the true picture of these things and so what you're contending with if you look at it every single time something rises up and comes it comes into the church, into against God's word, it's a counterfeit. So, yep. so here's the point: it has similarities to something that's true, mm-hmm. but it's not always the simil- It's not the similarities that's the problem; it's the differences, right? Right. So it's a counterfeit. That's why it's called a counterfeit. It does look similar in certain ways, and that's an important important thing. This is almost like a side topic. Yeah, but it's an important thing for people to understand. Like, you get people today are getting so caught up like the social justice movement is is such a perfect example like even christians are getting so caught up in in this this justice type thing yeah and there's these grains of truth in this in this in this really worldly anti-god movement yeah and they get caught up in it because they see these little slivers of truth and then it's like oh yeah christians yeah we're justice people yeah we got to be a part of this like hold up hold up like yep like Satan from the beginning, his his way of deception is by weaving in truth. He 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 wrongly quotes scripture to Eve in the garden when he tempts Jesus out in the wilderness, Matthew four. He 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 quotes scripture. He re, he quotes scripture to Jesus, and yeah. he actually quotes it correctly. But what does he do? He takes it out of context right. to to prove a point that it was never meant it, to prove. Right, and that's that now. I don't want to go too far because this will be another conversation for another day. But you and I touched on this in another conversation that we had, Sam. But I don't want to overstate. Okay, first of all, I do want to state very strongly, Satan can't create anything. He counterfeits everything. Now, just as an observation of the world, ideology, sociology, the world you and I live in, I find it fascinating and I don't want to totally connect these dots, but I do say it's fascinating, like I told you earlier, that a liberal movement that's against Scripture 
when you look at it just on the face of it, it's very interesting. It never creates anything. Yeah. It it paras it parasitically takes other things away. So here here I heard this. Uh, here would be an example. We had a thing called Boy Scouts, where a biological boy was part of a group. <laughs> well, now there's this infiltration. Well, why can't girls be part of it? Why can't you know um, homosexuals be part? Blah 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 blah. It's like, well, go create your own thing then. Like I yeah. literally would say, well, you live in a free free land. If you want to have an organization where you want all that to be like changed, then go create the organization. But what's really interesting, just an ob again, just a kind of a face observation, is it rarely works that way. It comes in and tries to change something, and I'm like, why are you changing this? Why mm -hmm. why do you want why do you want to come into my world and say you need to redefine marriage? I'm not going to. If you want to go have your own world and redefine something and you want to have 10 people married together and throw in a couple of animals or whatever, that's your, go do it. But don't come and tell me I'm supposed to redefine what I do and then adopt your thing. See, but that's what, right. ha that's what happens in all of this stuff. That's what, oh, it's, yeah. it's so weird to me. So I'm always like, wait a minute, my Bible, the consistent, the consistent, clear, reality of the pattern of marriage of men and women has been clear for thousands of years and i don't know why i'm supposed to change i'm not going to i'm not going to i'm not going right. to and, and so and so if you want to you want to do something different then go do something different but don't force me to adopt your different thing because i'm just not right. going to i'm not going to so and don't get and don't get me to say don't get me to like bless what you're doing over there and say oh yeah it's all great and stuff and you won't have to face the judgment of god for it no you you will have to face the judgment yeah. of god for it well, you can go so, do what you want to do, eat, drink, be right. merry. But one day, yep, yep, one day, judgment's coming. The day yeah. of the Lord will come. So, like a, so I'm glad you, night and, yeah, and I, and I'm glad you said that, Sam, because it's not like what it's what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not. I'm not saying it's not important when I say go do what you want to do. No, I would say not only is it the judgment of God, but but even in this life, because God created a true moral universe to operate a certain way, you Correct. will you will receive nothing but pain and hardship for your decision. Correct. And it ends. Yep. It ends where it starts. That is in pain and hardship. And the end in pain and hardship is the judgment of God. So that right. would be another discussion. But the point is, yeah, I'm not making light of saying somebody go do what they want. I think there's ramifications of it. I'm simply saying though that it seems to be. And, and again, I don't want to totally connect the dot of Satan and like these ideas out there are like somehow satanic. But you got to wonder. Maybe maybe I should be stronger about saying that. But my point is, is this is always how it works. Is yep. you want to come and change this four thousand year pattern definition, and I'm like, no, no, no. So then the third thing. Let me just throw a th third thing. Is again, I guess we're all in introduction and kind of catching up. But you got this four thousand year pattern that's been very explicit and clear. Uh, there seems to be these counterfeits. And then the last thing I would just say simply is we get into the, these actual texts that we're going to start dealing with is that behind Paul is a theology and it's a new creation theology. In other words, behind Paul in all of these texts, what's really fascinating is he's always referring to Genesis. Mm -hmm. His theology comes with the, okay, could I just, what Sam and I are doing is exactly what Paul did. I'll just say it. Right. Hey, let's we actually the, are. Let's look like, at the Bible. <laughs> like, let's look at the Bible. And so Paul's view of men, of women, of answering these questions in these epistles, which are letters to churches, are grounded in a biblical theology. And the biblical theology, and you look at Paul, he even refers to it, starts in Genesis just like we did. Yep. 
That's yep. what's interesting. So, so yes, Paul is going to answer a specific thing in a specific community like Corinth or Ephesus or Galatia. He's answering yep. a, a, an issue that has come up, and he's answering it. Yep. But the grid by which he comes to that is a biblical grid, God has spoken grid, and it's very interesting. In these particular things, men, women, roles, blah, 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 he, his, his theology is Genesis, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? yeah. Which we already showed Jesus's theology was the same way. Yep. yep. Right? What so, it, yep. What, it, what, is, what does the law say? What, what did, how did God design this in, in the beginning? Yeah. Always back. Always looking back. Always looking back. Because the so, Word of God is eternal. It, it stands. It's, yeah. It's just like... Uh, uh, man. Okay, so I guess <laughs> we, we got to get. I guess we got to get to the text. But I think as a back, yeah, here we go again. Backdrop, really. The pattern's been consistent. There's always going to be counterfeits that come in and try to change, say they can improve the church. And Paul's theology that we're going to get into here, the backdrop, is the very theology that we've been demonstrating in mm-hmm. 10, 12, 15 hours of podcasts on this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Okay. Yep. Okay. So. First Corinthians. Here we go. Yeah, um, we're, we're. I mean, we could. We could, if we wanted to, be very exhaustive. Certainly, we should. We could probably talk about First Corinthians six and seven because there's a lot of marriage stuff there, and sex stuff there, and divorce stuff there that's applicable to relationships between man and woman. But we're gonna. We're gonna skip that for now. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that in a different podcast sometime. Who knows? Because these this whole sex stuff is just so relevant today. Um, but we're gonna jump to this uh, chapter eleven in First Corinthians, and if you have a if you have a a Bible with headings, it, at least my ESV Bible says head coverings. Now it's important to know that in this point in the letter, Paul is transitioning into talking, addressing certain things, certain practices in the public gathering or worship gathering of the church. So. The things that he's going to be addressing in chapter 11 through chapter 14 is things that pertain to the public gathering of the saints. So they come, I mean, think about it. You come together for church on a Sunday. Okay, these things pertain to that public gathering. Right. And specifically, specifically in context, the public gathering of these people. These people, right. Right. That's exactly. the hermeneutical principle of the context. It's these people. Yep. They, they have a way of thinking. They have some conflict. You see yep. through Corinth. They have conflict between the men and women. People are going, hey, okay, wait a minute. We got this conflict going on. Paul, help us right. sort it out. Right. He's, Paul's been given word. Like, I mean, honestly, when we go through 11 through 14, we say, okay, obviously, we're going to be looking at 11. So there's something going on here about uh, this head covering business. We're going yep. to weigh into that a little bit. Some of it's a little confusing, but we're going we're gonna to get into it. Uh, Paul's been brought word that, hey, there's something going on with tongue speaking and prophecy and spiritual gifts and some people thinking they're better than others. And there's some divisions going on with with the Lord's Supper and who can take it and who can't. And and there's some stuff going on uh, with the wane of prophecy. So there are all these things. He's been brought word that these things are going on. Now he's addressing them. And and so that's where we start. We're actually starting in, in verse 2 because uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 actually – belongs to this to the section before it if you wanted to break it up logically but now he transitions and he he says now i commend you because you remember me and everything i maintain the traditions even as i deliver them to you you know we're not going to really spend much time on that verse at all because in a sense he's actually he's actually he's being very gentle with them he's 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 
I don't know, he's talking them up a little bit because he's about to bring some harsh critique. Um, and in a sense, he's he's affirming them that affirming them that hey, you actually are following my teaching and in the traditions that I passed down to you in many ways. But then in verse three, he transitions now into okay, but here's where you're failing. Here's where there's some stuff being messed up. Um, so I'll read. I'm going to read this section. I'm going to read verses three through uh, sixteen. Give us really the whole gist of what's going on here, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit. We're going to ask a, a couple questions about the text in general. Um, so I'll read it, and then we'll ask some questions. So starting in verse 3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So there's the passage. Now, you know, it is the case, it is the case about this passage that it is really hard to interpret. <laughs> like, like it, it is, it just is. You know, so many scholars have weighed in. Um, now, that's not to say though that, and this is what we're gonna we're gonna. I want to ask a couple questions about it first, kind of overlaying questions. First off, this is what we do know about it. We do know that women are to adorn themselves in a certain way. Okay, that's pretty clear. Like Paul is saying that when it comes to this 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 assembly, this meeting of you know of the church coming together to publicly worship God. Um, it's clear that the women need to adorn themselves in a certain way. Now we can get into where we can get into some muddy water and kind of get into the weeds and why this becomes hard to interpret is what, what exactly is Paul saying about how they're supposed to adorn themselves? Like there's all this debate on if it, are they supposed to wear their hair a certain way? Are they supposed to wear a certain type of head covering? What, what is that head covering? Do we need to wear head coverings? And so that can get really muddy and hard to, to weigh, you know, wade through. But I, I think actually when you really press into it, it's kind of clear. But the thing that we need to ask is, okay, yeah, it's saying that women need to adorn themselves in a certain way. But we want to ask the question, why? Why do they need to adorn themselves in a certain way? Because that's a very valid question. That's a question we have to ask. Why? 
And that brings us to, once we ask the question, why, it brings us to this, you could say this abiding principle. What is the abiding principle about the distinctions uh, between man and woman that is really kind of the foundation here for this, this cultural expression of that, you could say? And the, abide, the abiding principle is that thing that applies to us today as well. And it's the thing that applied 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, all the way till you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. And so what is that abiding principle? Um, what is Paul's, you know, he refers back to Genesis, and we're going to look at that. So we know that there's something here that's, that's cross-cultural. It's not just, Paul's not just talking about something very specific in this church for this time. Uh, there's something here for us as well. So we want to know what is that. Uh, no, and then Sam, if I could just um, again, a source of conversation. I know what you meant by that. Yep. <clears throat> Focusing on the principle, your point is, is that there's something yeah. abiding there for everybody. But I'm just right. saying the opposite of that, not opposite. Uh, the other side of the coin, if we're looking at a whole coin, is there is some things that potentially, and we'll get to yeah. it, that are specific for these people here. Oh yeah. Right. That's all. Exactly. I'm, that's all I'm emphasizing. It's yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I was jumping far too quick to an application type. Yeah. Right. Which I got. Um, it's all good. Yeah. I'm right. just saying yep. though, there's something specific to the Corinthian people, yep. in, in the Corinthian church that they had a conflict with. Yes. And then what a, but here's the beauty of what we're seeing here called a hermeneutic, hermeneutical principle. You first have to go and say, okay, God really exists. He really spoke. He meant something here. Let's get that nailed down. And then yeah. you say, so what's the application of this? Right. And exactly. I, and even as we're going through it, I find it striking not to, again, not to go off on a rabbit trail, but for everybody to listen. Isn't this interesting that part of the reason we, we have to labor at this, it's almost like there's this thing we're up against when mm -hmm. we have this conversation that not all people in all places and all times have been up against. We're, right. we're up against a cultural idea, i.e., you know, differences, uh, no differences, men and women, feminism, all sorts of things that push against this, that don't mm. like, don't oh, like, don't like so this. push against it. Whereas, as you said uh, in your, in your initial just quick commentary is like some stuff here is actually pretty straightforward and simple. It really is. Yeah, and, it really is. And in large measure... Again, history of church, thousands of years, people would have read this. And while they may have had other problems with other areas of Scripture in their life, this one wouldn't have been a big thing. They go, well, this is obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, it's a, really. It's, it it's exactly right. That's exactly right. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a conflict. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, man, man's different than woman. And there's something about the glory of a woman here that's different than a man. And that needs to yep. be expressed. And it's good to express that and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's pretty, again, it. I guess what I'm saying is as we work into our interpretation of this, you have to realize, even for all your listeners, like we feel this pressure, not just Sam and I, but all of us feel this pressure of this thing pushing against this. Right. And, and the thing is, is like if you, if you just take this passage and you just remove it from, again, this whole pattern that we've been talking about, if we just remove it from the context of Scripture as a whole, if we remove it from the context of all of, other, all of uh, Paul's writings you know, and all of his other letters— yeah, it's, it's a little difficult, you could say. There's some things that you could get hung up on, like what does it mean, you know, because of the angels or what the heck is going on here? 
but when you fit it into this whole pattern we've been discussing, it's like, oh, you know, this, this actually yeah. makes sense. Like, yep. yeah, duh, you would expect something like this. Yeah. And you know so another really... thing, Sam, is we're, again, I, yeah. <laughs> I've got more used to the podcast. If anybody have listened to these, like early on, I was like, gosh, don't we need to edit that? Because I was so used to preaching, teaching presentations, and I've realized yeah, pod was... I'm more relaxed now. These podcasts are conversations, right? So right. what was I going to say about that? Shoot. I was going to make a point about the conversation. Oh, I know the point. Is he, just again, in context of a culture we're living in, you got to understand, like, there's a couple things here, like we said, we'll get to that seem a little difficult. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing to me is I've been uh, a Christian. I haven't, wasn't a Christian my whole life. I didn't become a Christian until I was in university. And then, you know, I spent the last 30, 35 years working on degrees and studying these issues. What I find really right. interesting is there's not many passages like this, is what I want to say. For the person that doesn't know, like it's not like the whole Bible is these difficult, challenging things. Yeah. There's literally, right. literally, a literally, I can only think of right now, you know, like, literally a handful. Right. Literally, literally, like five or ten maybe that have some kind of like, hmm, I don't even know what to do with that. You know, when Jesus yeah. goes and preaches to the spirits in prison, you know, in right, that's one of First Peter. It's like Okay, could be this, could be that, could be this. But the point is, is for the person that's listening to us right now, you've got to understand like 95%, 98% of Scripture is not like that. No. No, not even close. Not even close. So I just want to make that a point if people didn't know that. So, okay, so let's jump. I guess you got to jump in here. But there's no question Paul is, again, going to what I said earlier, the backdrop for Paul is this biblical theology from the beginning of your Bible to right. the end. It's grounded in creation, obviously. Head of Christ is God, head of man, you know, head of woman, glory. Mm -hmm. That's all creation order stuff, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so go ahead. Let you carry Wonderful. on. I'm sorry. I just yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and keep chirping in whenever you have something to say. So we're just gonna start walking through it a little bit here. So. He, so there's an issue. Something has been brought up to him. What 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 can we assume? Well, we can assume that women aren't doing something as they they're supposed to be doing something when they meet together to pray and prophecy, and they're not doing it. And Paul's addressing it. So here he's starting to formulate his argument. But I want you to understand. So he's starting his argument that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is every uh what that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So, he's throwing out some logic. You could say he's throwing right. out he's throwing out some argumentation. Well, well, and, and God's created order. There's an order. Yep. So even in the yep. Trinity, and even in the Triune God, there's order. There's while the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father are all God. There is a right. a role subordination. It's called the economical subordination, yep. where the Spirit sub submits to the Son and the Father, and the Son submits to the father correct and, and yet so and yet they're completely equal they're all the same yep yep and and this is this is clear in scripture this is clear yeah, like yeah and where people get into this issue is they want to say well they'll and they'll label it like well that's subordinationism and that's a that's a that's a heresy of the trinity it's like no if you define subordination as a subordination within the ontological trinity which is that that the Son or the Spirit are are in essence less than or different than the Father. Yeah, then you have something—then you have a, a real heresy. That's not Christianity. 
Right. But you do have a clear teaching that ontologically, the ontological trinity, you have one God revealed in three persons, and they're all equal in essence, nature, will, power, attribute. They're one. Yep. But, ec- you know, we have the economic trinity. They are different in role. Yep. And we can see that, you know, you can think of how, how clear this is in just salvation itself. It's it's often summarized. It was the fa- the salvation to save, you know, wicked humanity. It was the Father's plan. Uh, the Son actually did the work, you could say, and then the Spirit applied it to the believer yep. or to this person. Yep. So you all, they all have different roles. Yeah. But they're all one God. So you would expect, and we talked about this in, in when we talked about Genesis. We talked about this in the creation account. Like you would expect then if God's going to create some uh, a, a human beings, create a creature in his own image, that he would— that that would be expressed. This unity and diversity aspect would be expressed. Mm-hmm. And so all that is, is is kind of this backdrop that feeds into when you start to read this. Like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Duh. The head of every man is Christ. Yeah. And here's one of the interpretative questions that we have to ask that has been the center of debate for a long time on this passage. And it's what does the word head mean? What, what does that mean? And you have you have a debate. And the debate is... Some people say it's source, and some people say it's authority. So does head mean source, like the source of every man is Christ, and the, and the source of a wife is her husband, and the source uh, of Christ is God? And people will, will argue that. But that actually doesn't make sense at all. Like, is Christ sourced from God, or like finds his being in, in God the Father, or are they not? Like, it doesn't, make, it doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit with a lot of scripture. Uh, so, what, so what head means? Oh, go for it. No, just keep going. Keep going. Yep. Well, all I was just gonna say is what what we would say is that sort or head clearly means authority. That the authority of man is Christ. Christ is the authority over man. Yep. And and uh, and then the head or the authority over wife is is her husband. Or and then just just the same here. And the authority over Christ is God. So you have this subordinationism is technically the correct term. Yeah. So Man is subordinate to Christ Yeah. because Christ is the authority. Woman is subordinate to her husband or a wife is subordinate to her husband because he is her authority. And Christ is subordinate to God the Father because God the Father is an authority over Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the argument. So... Just a couple clarifications I have in my notes. Source, the 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 way that okay, it, I think I think you pronounce the word kephale is is the is the Greek word for this idea of headship. Sure, and, yep. and it tends to mean authority. And one of our hermeneutical principles is we always use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And one of these places that kephale head is used uh, strongly is in Ephesians five, which we'll eventually get to. Yep. But, but Paul is using the same word here as he's using in Ephesians 5. But it's the same word used it earlier in Ephesians. Uh, let, let me just go to a couple cross-references in Ephesians, okay? so Ephesians one twenty, it's used. Yeah, one twenty to 22, right? Like, uh, yep. same word. Let's look at it. One twenty. it says, uh, Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and every name is named. Not only this, uh, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things uh, to, uh, to the church. 
Yeah. So the authority of the church is Jesus. Contextually, authority. Authority. It's the only authority. Yeah. And Ephesians 4.15 uses the same word again. 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Again. Yeah. Okay, so this posi- position of authority. And then, again, in chapter 5, 23, it's the same thing. So the point being is that at any other time Paul has used this, it's always been this issue of authority. Authority, clearly. Authority. And even even clearly, or more clear, you could say, is a Colossians 2, okay, uh, yep. starting in verse 9. For in him the, the whole fullness of is. deity yep. dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. There it is. Good, yeah, that's it good, is. Sam. so clear. Glad you brought that up. So here's the point of that then, is that the only way that you can come up with a different definition of, of kephale, which is people are yep. using like source of a river, right, is you have to go outside the scripture. Right. And then I, 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 I'm not a, a, a textual uh, criticism person. I don't spend time doing this, but the little bit I've read about this, um, those that went out and tried to find if kephale meant something different than authority First of all, you had to go outside the scripture. You had to read mm-hmm. extraordinary amount of Greek literature. And what's really interesting is that even of the extraordinary amount of Greek literature, it's like literally in a couple of places of the, right. th- of the thousands of examples. So right. again, you'd have to find this extreme exception even outside of the scripture to try to make this word be something different than it pretty cl- it's pr- clear that it is. Going back to your point, Sam, that you've used a few times now in our this whole series, you kind of got to pull a rabbit out of a hat. You got to go you pull a rabbit all the way over there out of the thousand and times this was used in the Greek. It was twice used as this. That must be what Paul's doing. And it's like, well, why would you read that into that? Because it's not the normal. Why norm- would you read that into it? It's not the normal usage. Even outside of the scripture, it's not the normal usage. It's always right. mean. It always means, okay, the curse word authority. of our curse word. Authority. Let's use the curse word. Headship. Yeah. It's what it means. It's what it means. Okay. And it makes perfect sense yep. with the pattern that we've been talking about. Like That's what you would expect to read, and it's exactly what you read. So, he's starting to make an argument. Yeah. Um, I want you to understand that the head of, you know, the authority, Christ is, is in authority over man. Man, or husband, is in authority over his wife, and then the head of Christ is God. God the Father has an authority over Christ. And where, where do you see that? Where do you see, you know, you might say, well, show me an example of that, Sam, Dan. Well, a good example of that is um, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. So if we just go a few chapters later in the same book, you know, the same book. So Paul's obviously, you know, he's probably going to use similar type words with similar type meaning in the same piece of literature. So 15, 28. Find it here. Otherwise, what do people... That's 29. When all things are subjected to him, and then the Son himself will also subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So the Son subjected himself, was was submitting to the Father as his authority. So we see this idea that the Son subjects himself or submits to the authority of the Father. Yeah, good. So... I mean, that, that's pretty clear. Not, not actually many issues there. Um, verse 4, every man who prays or prophecies. So, again, we're in the context of the local assembly. They're coming together and they're praying and they're prophesying. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered. So now we're actually talking about a real head now, like his head. Covered dishonors his head. 
So this is where it can get a little bit difficult. It's like, okay, head, literal, his actual biological head, covers, dishonors his head, his authority. <laughs> so that's that's where you can you can see where some people can get hung up a little bit because but it's still pretty clear I mean the plain reading of that would be like yeah if he has his head uncovered it dishonors his head authority not his biological head but his whoever his authority is um, so but every wife who prays her prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven so what we're seeing here is that okay you have this you have this relationship between a man and a woman and the man is the authority the head over a woman and there should be Paul is arguing there should be a display of this a physical like you can see it I can there it is like a display of this relationship that woman is submissive or submitting to her husband and you should be able to visibly see this Apparently, in this congregation, you should when they're coming together to pray and prophecy, you should be able to, if you were to walk into this assembly, you should be able to see signs of of submission that a woman is submitting to her husband in this context, and there should be something there that signifies that, symbolizes that, shows that. Okay, let me step back, Sam. Um, yep, I'm thinking of two or three things that are valuable in that conversation. When you say should. Yep. Okay, so first of all, there should, because there's this biblical truth we've been dealing with in principle from beginning to end. Right, but right. The, but there's another should, should, ought to, um, that you could make a case here that is mixed in this one little phrase, is there's two other shoulds. One should is there's this natural um, reality of natural revelation or natural creation. Right that there's some kind of a display of a natural creation of a man and a woman. Right. And there should be some natural display of that, of some sort. And, and right? Paul actually makes that argument later on in their text. We'll get to it. Right. And then, and then in addition to that then, that so the, the, there's this biblical principle from the beginning that's being taught of this pattern. There's something mm-hmm. natural in the created order that shows that there's a difference between men and women. You know, they're just, there's mm-hmm. something about, about that. Say even, you know, we could talk about it, but there, there's a difference. And then, and then culturally here, somehow within them, they put on display right. that the principle. So right. a, a simple, a simple way would say this, like, a way we put on display that's been pretty common in lots of cultures, but certainly culture here in America in the West, is the wife takes the husband's last name. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's just a, it, that actually is a cultural display. Yep. We wouldn't say the Bible says a woman has to take a man's last name. No, you can't find it. Right. But that is a display of the principle. Yep. And, there's, and, there, and we could get on further. There's other displays of a woman being under the authority of a man in the best mm-hmm. sense of it again, in the biblical sense that was good and right. Taking his right. name, um, you know, um, anyway, there's a number of these things. Okay, keep going. I just wanted to say. Yes, and so that, that, that's exactly right. That's all kind of, not convoluted, but it's kind of layers laying on this statement. Exactly. Okay. So Paul is basically saying that... He, 
you need to honor, yep. and we'll get to this, you need to honor your authority. Yep. And so if a man, if a man, if you were in the same situation and a man actually covered his head, actually put something on his head to cover his head, like that would be dishonoring to his authority, which is Christ. That would be, can't do it. Can't do that. That's dishonoring. Don't do that. Likewise, in the reverse, in a sense, if a woman was to not cover her head and be like a man in that sense, act like a man in that sense, then she would be dishonoring her head, which is her husband. So you have two different operations, you could say, because uh, you have two different sides to this 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 relationship. You have the authority side, you have the head side, you have this submission side. And both sides need to display that they're, they're varying their role in a certain way, and it's going to be in, in a different way. So the man displays his role by not covering his head. The woman displays her role by covering her head. Yep. So and, that you see a distinction. And one layer I didn't mention, again, in the source of conversation here, obviously here in Corinth, somehow they had a conflict over this. Yeah, you can assume that the women, Must some have, wives, weren't covering their heads. Covering their heads or something. And maybe even it was a view that, hey, we're all equal in Christ now. Which we'll get yep, to eventually. Likely that it could be that it could be like, hey, we don't we don't need to submit submit to order anymore because we're all the same in Christ. Which, in one sense, is a truth that's true. Yep. But but Paul's going, but yeah, that doesn't mean though that you dismiss order, and we'll see that in Galatians three and other places. Yep. Right there's again, yep. again, remember what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a few different things here. So who knows what it was? It may not even been that. Maybe they were just a bunch of. Uh, rebellious women and men that wanted to just do their own thing, be chaotic because they certainly were being chaotic in communion yeah. and other stuff, right? They were getting drunk. Oh, yeah. They were getting drunk and doing all. Hey, we're free now. We don't need any rules. We get to do whatever <laughs> we want. Hey, when we do communion, let's make it a big party and everybody get drunk. <laughs> no, really, that's that's the sort of stuff that was going on there, right? So, right. So we don't know exactly what was going on, but there was definitely a conflict. There was definitely, hey, we need to bring some order to the worship here. Right, and, and that's what we're getting at. What's unclear is, okay, what's exactly going on? What exactly is a head covering? We don't know exactly. Right. But what we do know is that the principle that Paul is resting this on is, is clear. We do know that. Right. We do know, and we don't even have to go to this text to see it. We do know that man is in authority over his wife who is to submit to him. Yep. And we'll see that in another text as well. That we do know. So that makes sense. Right. And it's so and, 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 and the principle here is is that certainly should be on display. Yeah. It even should in be a, on display. On display in this public corporate worship together. Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay. So let's let's move along. Yep. Um so we have this re, this reality of dishonoring if you if you don't properly um, display your role, you're dishonoring your head. Um so it, it goes, it's, it, you know, it can be reversed. If a man was to come into the congregation and have a head covering, that would be very dishonoring to Christ. Like, yep. you don't want that. Mm-hmm. You don't want a man walking into your church today with a dress on, which happens a lot today. Like, that's that's where this, <laughs> that's where this <laughs> passage gets really relevant to today because you have, you know, cultural icons like a guy named Harry Styles. I mean, you got... Some of you know who Harry Styles is. You know, was once the guy with One Direction and big singer guy, and he's been wearing dresses. 
<laughs> and all these conservative media people are calling them out. You can't wear a dress. We need masculine men. And everybody's blowing up about it. Like, he has every right to wear a dress. Yet at the end of the day, you see him in a dress, and you just know that just looks wrong. That's just wrong. <laughs> he just looks like an idiot with a dress on. Oh, my goodness. Men aren't supposed to wear dresses. I can tell I'm getting old, Sam. I mean, I, I hear Women, about this. I hear about this stuff. I don't even know any of these names. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it's just dumb. Or men aren't supposed to wear yoga pants. Like, that should be pretty obvious. <laughs> I'm not sure women should be wearing yoga pants in public. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I was in the doctor, and here I'm, I have to get a blood draw for something. I can't remember what it was for. And here comes this guy. It's a guy. Like, he, he's a guy, and he has long hair, and he has yoga pants on, and he has, you know, he's transgender. You know, whatever that means. Obviously, he'd probably say that he's, you know, a woman trapped in a man's body. And you just go, that is that is not right. That is not right. And somebody needs to tell that guy that you're a guy, act like a guy. You can't be wearing yoga pants in public or in private. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got me just laugh. I just, I want oh, to, honestly, so, see, honestly, this is what's weird. Like, I actually am sad for people. I really, I actually genuinely am. But there's another part of me that it's so, you can hear me laughing, like, seriously? Yeah. Oh, man. We are mixed up, man. We're so mixed up. So mixed up. So that's why Whew. this passage of sense is relevant. It's like, hey, Paul's actually saying, hey, there needs to be some obvious differences between the way men and women or, you know, wear things in your in your gathering because they're different. Yeah. I made man, a man and woman. Di- God made man and woman different and they should they should display this difference. Yeah. And for in this case, it's either wearing or not wearing a head covering. Right now, we again, part of that's cultural. So the way in which we distinguish ourselves today is probably not going to be the way that they did two thousand years ago. Two thousand years ago in Corinth, you know, we're not wearing head coverings. You go into most, if not just about all evangelical churches, and you're not seeing women wearing head coverings. But there are those cultural things today in which we do display distinction. Dan mentioned one: the women take the man's last name. There's others, but on another sense too, it's like. Men aren't coming into church with dresses on, and women aren't coming into church with men's clothing on. Like, men's and women's clothing has always been different, and it should be different. Yeah. <laughs> and there shouldn't be this cross-dressing. We don't want to confuse this. Man. So, in a sense, as a little side note, a little application. <laughs> Again, we're jumping to applications so quick here. Let's keep, <laughs> let's continue. Well, in you, the, you, the hardly, you almost can't, right? But let's... Let's oh, just, man. But let's reemphasize again, too. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking, Sam, again, um, this has come up in a number of our podcasts, but I would say it again for your listeners that theology, okay? Theology, let me step back. We go to the Word of God and we bow out, what does God say? He says this thing, this thing, this thing. And sometimes then we take these things and we tie them together, we draw, we connect the dots. And out of connecting the dots, we come up with what we call theology. Mm-hmm. Theology comes from our Bible. No, right. Okay. So all I'm saying is that even as I hear you saying, though he doesn't draw the 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 uh, specific statement here, but when you talk about Christ being our head, uh, we could go into a whole discussion of 
again, in Paul's theology. Remember, we're talking about Paul writing this. He's inspired by God. He has a, a lens by which he's addressing this question. His lens starts with the scripture. From the scripture, mm -hmm. he has a theology. Mm -hmm. It's a theology of Trinity, but it's also a theology of man and woman, but it's mm -hmm. also a theology of Christ and the church. You know, mm -hmm. the bride, the head of the church. We'll get to that in Ephesians, yeah. Yeah, yeah. see, That'll but, be it, the next episode. But, but again, just realize when Paul's answering this, that is in his grid. Oh, absolutely. See what I mean? Grid. And so even that, there's this submission of the church to Christ as the head. And it's a marriage, marriage of the lamb. That's There's that imagery in the scriptures of marriage, uh, which is interesting, right? And so, again, some of this is just natural principle that comes out of theology of a man and a woman Again, carried in this pattern forever and ever. The fact, honestly, the fact that we even have to address this and we're just like so confused. The fact that we have to address it, but the fact that we are close to doing something like what Dan and I are doing right now is close to being illegal. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Like, like that's crazy. It's been so natural and so part of humanity from the beginning and that we would have to, like, again, have these difficult conversations is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So I guess I have a empathy, too, for, I guess the word would be empathy, sympathy or empathy, I don't know, uh, for we, we feel this pressure. I mean, there is a pressure mm -hmm. people feel in this. I understand that. I really do. Like, mm -hmm. to have this conversation, mm -hmm. you're pushing against something. I said it earlier, mm -hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going, bro. Okay, I'm sorry. So keep going. So yeah. basically... Paul is making an argument, end of verse 5, since it is a shame as if for Heber. So he's saying, hey, if a woman walks into church and prays, you know, in this in this context of praying and prophesying within the corporate church, corporate, corporate assembly, and and she doesn't have her head covered, it's as though she just shaved her head. And that should be to her shame. Like, it's shameful to have your head shaven. You know, often, you know, you even think about the Old Testament when, like, somebody would die or something horrible would happen, they'd shave their head, put it on a cloth, lay in the dust, in a sense, like, He's basically saying she should she might as well just come into church with her head shaven, <laughs> and she, but she won't do that because that would be to her shame. But he's like it's the same as though, yeah. You and, know. and 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 again, isn't this weird? We got to talk about this. But he's not talking about a fashion, okay? So with that said, like no. we could have this discussion. Should a woman shave her head today? And I know there's certain fashion, high fashion. Okay, that's not <laughs> right. the point. Was in this context in Corinth. Right. There was something obviously shameful to everybody for a woman right. to shame. We could still have that kind of conversation today, yep. but that's not, we're not talking about fashion right now. We're not talking about, no. you know, should you wear a big earring or a smaller earring? Should you have a certain kind of hair type? Should you color your hair? It's not that. It's it, in this context, it was very clear to them that the woman coming into this corporate service and publicly doing this would be likened to something that was very shameful for them mm -hmm. that had a layer of creation to it. Yeah. It had a layer of the historic picture, but certainly culturally it was very clear for them that it had a layer right. that you just don't do this. Right. You know, there, there's something, there is something really significant. Maybe I shouldn't overstate this, but I don't want to understate this. Like there is something significant about hair. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's interesting because Literally, like we know this today, like women by and large have long hair and men by and large have short hair. Yeah. 
And and women generally don't go, go bald. Guys do. <laughs> exactly. There it is right there. Like, these principles aren't just, like, here's just a rule. Like, women should have long hair, men have short hair. But actually, biologically and physiologically, God has created us where men go bald and women don't. Like, it's extremely, extremely rare that a woman would, would lose her hair before she dies. Yeah. Even as an old grandma, she still has yeah. hair. And what's interesting is that, that, that the woman would work real hard not to have that happen. Right. What I'm saying is if she does experience that, I would say it's a problem of the fall, right? Some kind of loss of hair. She would do everything she could to kind of regain hair, cover it up, wear a wig, do something, right? right? But for a guy, a guy, you know, I have a son who his genetics align with his mom, which is where the, I guess the hair thing comes from is the female side. In other words, he's got uncles on my, on my wife's side who by the, by the, by the, pretty much by the time they were late twenties, no hair. Right. Uh, that's my son. Yep. But you get with but I stand next to my son and uh like I got a full head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is is nobody would think anything like it's an they don't anything of it. They don't think of anything as my son's like that's an anomaly. It's like no no Yeah, no, but no. you see a thirty year old uh woman you know woman thirty five year old woman walk around ball, you go, either she has cancer. Yeah. Or something's not right. Yeah. <laughs> no, usually. No, it's not again, yeah. right. Okay. So there is a natural flow to that. That's all I'm saying. Right. right. That's all we're saying. We don't need to overstate it. We're not being weird. But right. Like, we all kind of right. know this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Right. So, but since it is a disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair to, or shave her head, let her let her cover her head. So, there we go. Verse 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Here, we're going to stop there. This is, a, this is a really interesting thing. You remember what we talked about in the beginning? Um, we're back to Genesis, Genesis 1, you know, uh, God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So both male and female are created in the image of God. So that, and that is where our equality comes from. We're both equally image bearers of God. We both have equal dignity, honor, worth, value. Yep. You're good at that list. You always say that list real quick. Equal, yeah. I don't know how you do <laughs> it. Even, I, yeah, whatever it is. It's good. It's good. <laughs> now, now that you put me on the spot, now I can't say it again. Anyway. Okay, it's good. <laughs> so equality, because we're created in the image of God. But different in this part, which is glory. Man is the glory of God. Woman is the glory of man. And this is, a, is you know, since it's a, an equality sin, like, 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 when it t- comes to glory, um, woman equals uh, glory in a sense. It's really interesting. Yeah. So she is the glory of man. Man is the glory of God. Now we, so we circle. You could, in a sense, you could circle that first word head. What does head mean? We went through that. It, it like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it means authority. Now we come to this next word, glory. What does glory mean? What does this mean? Because here we have a distinction. Men and man and woman are not equal on on who they glory, in a sense. Well, it's exactly what it's saying. So what does this mean? Well, we can look at the context. The context is honor. Honor equals glory. So man is is the honors his head, Christ. Woman honors her head, man. Man is the glory or is the honor of Christ, his head. Woman is the glory or honor of her head, man. That makes sense. Fits the context, 
fits scripture makes yeah. perfect sense but Honor. see but even that that's just awesome to think about like the glory of a man is his wife yeah it's crazy so you got to get that right so those that are listening listen to this this is so cool like I think of dancing, right? I think you've used that example too. I don't know. So other people yeah, have used it. Yeah, Doug Wilson did it. Too. Wilson, okay. He has a great picture of it. Does he? Okay. So, but yep. it is like like you think about this like like think of a beautiful ballroom dance or something. Like like I'm leading my wife in this dance, but in all fairness, everybody's eyes in the room are fixated on her. Oh yeah. On the flowing and on the beauty and on the dress. And uh, I'm sort of a fixture. I'm sort of just like this steady, stable foundation that she's dancing on. Yep. People are not that intrigued with my moves. No. But totally watching her flow. I just think it's this beautiful picture, right? And it is. It's you know when the bride comes in, right? Everybody stands. It's like ah, you know. Oh, look at her. Yeah, look at her. I know, you know. She's the glory of man. I, I, She's the honor I, of man. I always look in the eyes. I have three daughters that have gotten married, and I, I like looking in the eyes of the guys when they see her come in, you know. And, <laughs> and you see the tears, and you see them biting their lips and hanging on, and it's like they're in awe. Yeah. They're in awe. It's my bride. It's my bride. <laughs> and so everybody's looking at the bride. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm saying this in light of a culture or somebody that might think, this headship idea is somehow oppressing women. No, no, it's like the woman is the glory of the man. It's like, it's like when she walks in the room, everybody goes, "Oh, that's Dan's wife." Whoa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. like absolutely. Like I kind of take take a step back because the glory has just showed up. Yeah, it's, and, it's so and, interesting, and it shines on me. Yep. Right, you were. And, and were this you, is, I mean, it shines on. It's just crazy. It's like it's, it's this, yeah. It's a different. It's a different thing. Like you can't. This is where we get into some problems, and, and so many people get into some problems. And Doug Wilson, he's such. He's so good at, at illustration. He really is. He paints these wonderful pictures. Does these great analogies, metaphors. Huh. Um, but by the he, way, I, he, I don't think I've. About, I don't think I've heard this. I heard you talk about it. So. Well, he well he was given all these illustrations. He was yeah. preaching from this text. And he, he gave this dancing illustration. But then he said, oh, imagine this. Imagine this. He goes, after the dance is done and this man has just displayed his glory, this woman, he's led her in this, but he, you know, in his wonderful leading, she is, she is presented, you know, in an amazing way. And then at the end of the dance, he whispers into her ear and he says, I won. And you go, what? What do you mean? It wasn't a competition. What do you mean you won? We were dancing together. You had your role, I had my role, I'm your glory, I'm your honor, you displayed me, it's this wonderful thing, but we're not competing. Yeah. And so, here's where you get into an issue, the, the, the glory, man is the glory of Christ, woman is the glory of man, these aren't in competition. Like, whose glory is better? Like, you know, blah, 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 and like, no, this isn't a competition. Yeah. There's a, it's a different type of glory. This, you know, the stars have their type of glory. The moon has its type of glory. You know, that's the whole, you know, there's another picture in the creative world. Like, yes, the, the, the moon reflects the light of the, the sun, but at the same point, it's this whole different type of glory. It's this whole different thing. Yeah. You're not in competition with each other. The sun is one thing. The moon is another thing. Like, these aren't in competition. Yeah. So that's where you get into this. Oh, man. You know, I was watching. 
I was watching this. Sometimes I like to go back and watch on YouTube the old, the old like interviews when Jordan Peterson would go on to all these different talk shows right when he got into his heyday and was you know making way. And I watched one of those interviews where he was he was on a talk show in um, in Scandinavia. I don't know if it was Norway or Sweden or one of those places. And you know, and they are known for their their like leading the way in what would be considered an egalitarian <laughs> society where man and woman are completely equal to the point to where they're trying to they're trying to see an equality of outcome not just an equality of opportunity but an equality of outcome where man and woman are equal in every way which is just ridiculous so peterson brings up the literature he says, you know i've he goes he's a clinical psychologist because you know i've done a lot of research on this I, he goes i have a, i'm actually an expert on this he says i know this a lot <laughs> i know a lot about this he goes when you do all these studies of all these different societies, he finds the greater, uh, the more egalitarian a society is, the greater the differences between man and woman become. <laughs> and it's very interesting. It's like ironic. It's like counterintuitive. And he goes, this is why. When you give a man and a woman the complete free choice to choose an occupation or to choose a career path or to choose how, what they want to do with their life, you give them the complete freedom. You can do whatever you want to do. And, and that's what we hear in America all the time. You, you, you hear this all the time by teachers and people. You, they tell their little kids, you know, you can be whatever you want to be and blah, 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 blah. And sometimes it's just like overboard. Like if you want to be a professional athlete, you can do it. Like mm, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, you know, we've kind of created that type of society where, yeah, if you want to go do this, go do it. You know, maybe or you'll get a reality check and you're just not that smart to be a doctor. You're just not that smart to be a lawyer or you just don't have that, uh, you know, the type of capacity to to run a, a company. But you, you'll figure that out sooner or later. But at the end of the day, though, you have the you have the ability to try. And so but when you have a society like that, men choose certain types of occupations and women choose certain types of occupations. And you start to see that we we just sift ourselves out. We fall into different playing fields. You know, men are men are by God made us to be more oriented toward tasks, towards the mission, the garden. Go go cultivate the garden. Go work the garden and work the the the, the ground. And this is where Doug Wilson had this amazing analogy. He goes, you know, man men were called to to tend the garden. Women were called to tend the gardener. And and so where do you see women if they have a choice to choose an occupation? Where do they end up choosing? They choose things that have to do with relational things. They're often teachers. They're often nurses. They're often HR people. They're people. They're, they choose careers where they 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 are with people a lot. Men gravitate towards careers where they're dealing with things and tasks. Engineers, building things, carpentry. You know whatever it is welding it's like and that makes sense but yet peterson is laying this out in this interview in this in this woman is like she's like she is coming at it with this base assumption that men and women are competing against each other and that women should be competing in the realm that man is and that they need to also be the engineers and the CEOs and the ones with the power and the influence and all this stuff and make all the money. It's like if she wants to be an engineer, great. Let her be an engineer. But you can't force that. 
and men and women are are different. They really are. Yeah. So what you're saying is is generally speaking, in large numbers, actually, if you gave a, a population complete freedom, yep, to choose different careers, yep, by and large, not yep. Again, there's always exceptions, but by and right. large, and really pretty much, really by and large, guys right. in guys, every society in every culture. Yep, guys are going to choose, say, engineering and construction, and women are going to choose nursing. Yep. And the numbers play that out every single time, and it's not every even— Every single time. It's not a debate like this current election. This is like— nope. The numbers are extraordinarily clear. <laughs> right. And that makes sense because of— Yep. Because of man was made to tend the garden, woman was made to tend the gardener. Yep. Makes sense. Duh, that's exactly what I would do. And here's the issue. These things aren't in competition. Right. It's not like the man being the engineer, the man being the CEO is somehow better than the woman being a nurse. No. Right. But the world has made everything about money. And competition. Well, the man makes well, more money and therefore in this comp- job. Competition, right, yeah. Right, and they're in competition. It's not a competition. Which it's is not a competition. Which is another discussion we don't need to get in here, but you know, when you talked about making more money, just so people know, like, that's another thing. I think Peterson and others have brought this up. But but if you took the studies and you looked at all the factors involved, there's like yeah. 15 to 20 different actual factors, okay? Oh, yeah. Variables involved. It, there's, there's reasons women in a certain particular job, in that same particular job for a guy, there's a reason a woman may not be making as much money as the guy. Right. And, and, it, and it's not because... She's a female and he's a male. There, right. There's a whole bunch of other factors involved. Right. Uh, longevity on the job. A woman takes time off to go be a mom. Uh, uh, agreeable. She's not, as, she's not as assertive in saying, hey, give me a raise yeah, or else or I quit. Demanding it. There's, there, well, I'm saying we don't need to get into that here, but there really are. Uh, there's a lot more to that discussion. So anybody that thinks, well, you know, men just make more than women and women are being suppressed in that. There's a lot more, a huge lot more to that discussion. That yeah. need, yep. So anyway, well, let's get yeah, back. That was a little tangent. Yeah, yeah. Ba- back to the text, uh, though. Yeah. So yeah, we're just tangent we're, off of the woman is glory. the glory. Yep. Glory. Uh, yep. Of the, the man. man, of the man. Yep. It's yep. An, so she should display that in some way. It's an awesome, and, and it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And the argument is: here we go. What's the argument? Uh, for man was not made from woman. There we go. Genesis. Remember? <laughs> yep. God took the rib from man and made woman. But he says, for man was not made from woman. But woman from man. Okay, he's grounding this in Genesis, in the creation account. Right. It's pretty clear. This isn't just this principle that he's, this theology that he has undergirding all of this isn't just cultural. <laughs> he's not being misogynistic. <laughs> no. He's saying, no, this is grounded that. in. He's not yeah. being, yeah, he's not being, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yep, so for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither yeah. was man created for woman. Like, that's that's huge. Neither was man created for woman, but yeah. woman for man. Woman was made for the man. Remember, there was not found a suitable helper for him from yeah. among the animals. So God created from man yeah. a suitable helper for man. Like, that's Genesis, too. See, and what a cool thing. I'm speaking as a guy that's been, you know, married for 37 years now. Um, like, I can't do this without my wife. 
Right. I, you can't do it without. You know, and I find that fascinating. You know, can I throw something out, Sam? This, this is what they throw call, it out there. Okay, well, they call this anecdotal, meaning like I think that's what they tend to call it. Like, I don't yeah, have this, from experience. I don't have this big study, but I have lived life a while now, right? Like, yep. And and it's interesting. I've heard this forever. Like, I hate to think about the divorce thing, but that's part of it. Or, but death is a part of it. But like, guys that lose a spouse, a man. Now his wife's gone for some either divorce or death. A lot of times it's amazing how many times and how quickly a guy will find another spouse. Mm. It's like a guy almost can't live on his own without a woman. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. But there's mm-hmm. lots of women that don't get remarried. Mm-hmm. It's like a woman can go on without the guy. And there's a discussion to be had there, but all I want to make is I'm trying to, again, help people understand. It's like I couldn't live life without my wife. Yeah, it's incredible. I really like, really do need her, big time. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. she she probably doesn't need me as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, in a certain way, like she would probably do pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, isn't that interesting? In light of you know a cultural that gets all uptight about this, I'm like, no, no, like like guys got this was a really cool thing that God created. Coming back mm-hmm. to your title, you know, it's God's idea. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I, so. Ne- I needed a suitable helper to pull this off. You, I can't, need, you need uh, somebody to tend the gardener. I, I, I can't. <laughs> you need do a the, wife to tend you. Yeah, I can't do the mission without her. Just yep, can't, can't, exactly. Can't do it. So, yep. So then verse 10. Here we go. He says right here, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. There he goes. He, he says it. Have a symbol of authority on her head because of, and now he goes, okay, this is one of those phrases again where we get all confused because of the angels. What? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it seems what? like it throws out a left field a little bit. Now, there's there's debate. Here's where I think this is what I think it means. Uh, angels were ha, were already created when God created man and woman. They were already in existence. He had already created them, and so they were they were uh, witnesses to God's creation order. They witnessed the way in which God created man and woman, and then the the, the authority you could say structure that he created them with like man is the head of the wife the woman and that is a div- that's a divine thing god created that it's fundamental to creation and the angels were witnesses to it and so in a sense it it it, it gets a little complicated but angels are also you could say witnessing and in observing our church services in a sense and they're 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 they're, they're observing us and when and when we don't properly express how God created us, in a sense, it offends the angels. And the and we're talking more specifically to the angels that didn't fall, like the holy angels that didn't fall. They're good. They're perfect. They 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 serve God continually, and they're perfectly in subjection to God. They perfectly obey God. If that makes sense. Yeah, a third of them did rebel in the beginning. They they perpetually disobey God and work against Him. But the ones that didn't, the two thirds that didn't, they perfectly obey God and are in perfect subjection to Him. And it's kind of offensive, you could say, to the angels when us human beings don't display this this authority structure correctly. When men don't act like men and women don't act like women, and when women don't submit to men and when men don't lead women. It's offensive to the angels who perfectly are in subjection to their their authority, God. That's what I think it means. 
<laughs> um, that makes sense to me. But yet, th- but the th- whole thing because of the angels, even if you got rid of that part, it still doesn't change the thrust of the argument by any means. Um, but that's what I think it means. Yeah, well, okay, so it's one little statement. It's a few words. Yep. Um, it doesn't change. This would be one of those moments, like we said earlier, there's a few of these places in Scripture you go, okay, so what would be the significance of going one way or the other? There is really no ramification on this at all. Right. Consequence going. But it is interesting. uh, If you think of theology again, a theology that you come up with by reading other Scripture, right? We read the Bible, Mm -hmm. we come up with a theology. So you wouldn't Mm -hmm. see the word Trinity in the Bible, but we come up with the Trinity as a theological idea. Because of looking at all the scriptures, we put them on the table and we go, oh, God is one God, three persons. Yep. That's the theological idea. That's how you get that. Okay. So um, we there, there's a whole field of study from the scriptures called angelology, where we're studying mm-hmm. angels. And in that, you study there's good angels and bad angels. Mm-hmm. And angels were there before the creation. They are created beings, but they were there. Uh, there's some discussion about even these words in the scriptures about this council around God. Like there's these yep. other, these angelic beings, and there's huge discussion about that, which really is kind of fun to think about, right? Like, uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who's doing that right now? Uh, Tim Mackey does that with the Bible Project, but who's he interviewing? Like, oh, Heiser. Uh, yeah. Heiser does a lot Michael of Michael Heiser. What's that? Is it Michael? Is it Michael? Michael Heiser, yeah. I'm not trying to go down yeah. that road right now. But he has a lot to talk about this idea of the Old Testament imagery of a council of angelic beings yeah we we clearly have like luke 15 says that um you know when one sinner comes to faith in christ the angels rejoice right we have another they're witnessing it they see something (laughs) what's that yeah they they see something they witness stuff yeah yeah that's all aware of these things you have job 38 i think it is that talks of uh uh you know in creation these angelic beings were rejoicing in creation yeah and so and then further uh, again in the world of angelology um i think that's the best term um you know there's hierarchy in the angels too we have you know the seraphim and cherubim you have these different levels of order of submission with even within the angelic beings so and even in the demonic world, you have a submissive thing. Th- that's true. You do. Yeah. You have Satan, yep. Satan, the highest, you know, and then yep. there's this other, other levels, rulers, authorities, principalities. It's really an interesting discussion. The point yeah. is, is we don't have like it, this exhaustive amount of scripture on this, but there are these illusions. So, yeah. so if we were to say that, trying to understand this, we, we could, we could say, and, mm-hmm. and like you're saying, we could be wrong, but we could say, okay. The angels rejoiced in creation. They rejoiced over male and female. They rejoiced over yep. marriage. They rejoiced over the that God creates order, you know, and yep. so so many days created. Uh, the whole thing has this order to it, in contrast to the chaos that Satan was always about. And therefore, when this public worship of God's people in Corinth is done in accord with this whole order and this whole sequence, it's a rejoiceful thing for the angels and they're witnessing the whole thing. Right? Yep. So, I mean, you're taking just a small statement, but you're, if you, again, if you take your theology, taking scripture to re- interpret scripture, yep, there's something about the angels rejoicing over this being done right. Correct. And just, that's, you don't need to go any further than that. It's kind of like, yep. yeah, there's no, something about that. that. There it is. Yep. Yep. So verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, 
woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. There you go. So here we go. Like back to creation. Here we, yep. here we have this interesting thing. So Paul is is being very smart here because okay, he's he's speaking to people who have a fle- you know still have the flesh, just as Dan and I still have the flesh, and we have to fight against this flesh. And we can go too far in some things. We can go too far in some of our interpretations. We can apply it in wrong ways. It was never meant to be applied. So you can see where where you could see that there might be some men in this congregation, just like there were some women in this congregation that didn't want to be <laughs> submissive. You can see that there probably is likely that there's some men in this congregation that are, are trying to just be too domineering. Yep, there you go. And, yep, like both ways. goes both ways. And here is almost like Paul is 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 kind of balancing this out he's saying okay but before you go too far and you start to misinterpret me and saying that women are women are somehow inferior yep. to men who are superior no don't go that far that's not what i'm saying it's yep. not what i'm teaching that's not what the bible teaches yep at all he says nevertheless in the lord woman is not independent of man nor man of woman for as woman was made from man so man is now born of woman so every single man who exists is born of a woman. He has a mother. Yep. <laughs> and he and he was nurtured by his mother. His mother sustained him in the womb. His mother sustained him when he was a baby, uh, you know, with breastfeeding. He's totally dependent on this mom who is giving him his food, who is taking care of him, who is changing his diaper, who is teaching him and raising him to be a man of God. And why do you think in the Old Testament it's often listed the king's mother is listed or named? Because the mother is a very important, it plays an extremely important role yeah. in the upbringing of this king, this man. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Like, I can't even, that's what's so ridiculous about our society right now is, you know, this whole, it's it's so ironic. We want to attack the toxic man, toxic, toxic masculinity, these toxic, you know, white, you know, oppressive patriarchal, patriarchal men in our society, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, when you when you attack that, what you actually what actually is being attacked is true femininity, is true womanhood, because the woman is thought to be the you know the mother who stays at home and takes care of her kids and nurtures her kids and manages the household. Like that's that's what's being attacked today. Yeah, and it's it's horrible. But that's a little bit of a tangent. Again, remember if you remember if you've been listening to these. Uh, we we began our series in saying like we're gonna get through all the we're gonna do a survey of the text and then we're gonna get to a few episodes just on application. Um, so <laughs> I so often jump into this application mode, which makes sense because we're talking about the church now, which applies yeah. to us. But I want to hold out on application as much as I can. Well, and, we're gonna get to some of that. Yeah. Stuff. And, well, and and some of the application is gonna be really interesting, right? Like. Okay, yeah. I, there's two images that come to my mind. The first image is any of these conversations, you got to put all the pieces on the table. And so when we deal with Trinity, I think I've actually I think of the nature of Jesus. Like we get, we by the time we're done putting all the pieces on the table, we say, okay, what what is the nature of this incarnation? It's called right. God right. made God made flesh. Well, we come to this conclusion that He's both fully man and fully God. That, right. that, that's the conclusion. And then somebody might say, well, how can that be? And I'm like, I don't know. That's right. That's why there's it's a, in the text. It call it, it 
call it a mystery. Mystery doesn't mean contradiction. It just means, no, this nope. is, we're talking about the nature of God. That's not the nature of man. No man came up with this and created it. And he's right. fu- fully man and fully God. That's what all the pieces tell us. So right. the imagery here then in any kind of truth, we often talk this way is like, there's this road and then there's a ditch on each side of the road. Yep. And if you go too far one way, you end up in one ditch. But if you go too far the other way, you end up in the other ditch. And so yep. what we've been saying in this whole whole thing, and I know this is a little more applicatory application, but we're not saying, so we're, we openly are rejecting, uh, again, you'd have to define it, but the, the overall movement of what's called the egalitarian. We're saying, yep. no, that's, that's not biblical. No. And then we're going to the other side, but, but we're not talking about, uh, men get, getting to dominate women and crush them. Right. That's equally bad and awful. Right. Right. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying there's this road of true biblical headship roles, both created in the image of God, equal in so many ways. Uh, uh, well, equal in, in, in essence for sure. But even in ways, even if even in skill sets, we could say, my wife can be. Well, yeah, the, 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 I'm just well, saying, but say just even leadership. Intellect. That, yeah, intellect. Let's say intellect. Or we could take it, um, skill skill set. We could say, you know, in some ways, my wife could be a better leader than me. Okay, but that's immaterial in light of what God's called me to be, meaning the the leader in the head of my home. Now, I've got to figure, right. out, figure out how to have my wife along my side and encourage her in her leadership, but I still need to be what I'm supposed to be. You know, you know what I mean? Right. And I would I would temper that a little bit like huh. there is a reality and we'll get to this in the application thing like um again there is no competition you got to remember you got to keep drilling in your mind there is no competition there is no competition between a man and a woman they they right. operate in their god ordained spheres yeah so the woman is playing on this field the man is playing on this field and then they come together in this amazing dance and yeah. and it's wonderful so the man has been called the lead and so there there has to be something um in in general, or in the va- in most cases, there's something about how God made a man that makes him able to lead. Oh, gotcha. I know what you mean. Yeah, there's some. Char- yeah. There are characteristics. Yeah. I'm just trying. To, yeah. Right. Yep. I got you. Right. Yep. But when we talk about just things in general, like intellect, I mean, you secular studies, secular psychological studies, they've done. There's been so many intelligence tests and so many IQ tests, and what have all these tests shown? Men and women have zero difference in IQ. Zero difference. Yep. Overall, they they're don't. both overall, like they don't. But yeah, but yeah, you know, it's another interesting thing about that though. That these studies show, like a firstborn tends to have a higher IQ than their siblings, right? And yeah, like, there's all those interesting things. My that right. gets gets to a different discussion we've talked about about disparities and the way God creates things. Yeah. So the point right. though, the point though, in essence, there's no difference, right. and yet there's clear roles, and God clearly equips a male and a female. For these roles he's called them to. Correct. And there's things my wife can do, multitask, a number of things that I actually think are more yeah, wom- there's wo- a l- wom- woman. Uh, her intuition, her her ability. Yep. Kind of, you know, I want to go, okay, I know you're feeling that and it's probably right. I'm a little more like I want to put the rational knowledge on the table. And when I talk to men, generally speaking... There is that tends to be that movement. Again, I don't want to overstate yeah. it, folks. Please don't get freaked yeah. out. But there is this tendency: the guy wants a little more concrete on the table, and the yeah. woman, the woman's brain even has been wired to assess more, uh, assimilate more information. 
And, yeah. and so I know that you're feeling that and you're probably right. So the point of all that is my wife was much better with our kids of what she would call looking at their hearts. You know, I was a little yeah. more, here's the rules. You got to align yeah. with this. And at the same time, then she was able to modify because she could see into their soul about how do we help this child assimilate or adopt that order and line that you're laying down, Dan, but we right. got it. We've got to do it in consideration of their soul. Right. And, and she so was really good probably, at that. Yep. You probably heard like a relational or emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, women just seem to have more emotional and relational intelligence than men. Yeah. It's just like, and I don't know, I'm not even, I'm not even afraid to say that. Like, it's just like obvious. We all know this. It's like this, yeah. like, it's like, we all know it yet. Now we're in this weird spot in our society where we're like, Oh, should I be saying that? Like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, come on now. <laughs> yep. Well, it's like, why are most Head Start teachers and kindergarten teachers women? Yep. Like, why? Well, it's because they 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 just they just yeah. are more equipped to deal with children. Yeah. To the point to where God gave them breasts to make milk, to actually physically nourish the child. Yeah. Like it's not that hard to see this. <laughs> and the, and hey, I mean, hey and Sam, point, I, I thought you were gonna eventually get to application. <laughs> oh man i know good grief yep okay i'm gonna hold back a little bit because the application is just so awesome yeah. but it, it, you know it, it, this is the issue though today the applicate people find and it and it burdens my heart it grieves me to see so many married couples and they've they've they haven't been taught this and so they've grown up hearing these lies and then they find themselves, you know, I'm talking about Christian couples now, they find themselves in, an, in a predicament in their life, in the way they've structured their life, in the way they've created their lifestyle. They, if they start to see the clear teaching of Scripture, they find themselves in a predicament. And we'll get to that predicament, and we'll talk about that and stuff. But yeah, let's keep moving along. Um, uh, and then he, Paul concludes, and all things are from God. So, for as, of, as man, woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Yep. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper? So now we get. Remember, Dan, you you mentioned earlier, Dan, this 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 argumentation from nature. Here we have that argumentation from nature. Judge for yourselves. So he's telling the Corinthians, "Hey, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife um, to pray to God with her head uncovered?" Actually, does he say wife or woman? Uh, oh, where do uh, I have wife? You have NASB, I have ESV. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah. wife, woman. You know, in the Hebrew, um, yeah, the the, ter the term isha mm -hmm. uh, in the Hebrew can be interpreted both wife or woman, so I'm assuming the Greek is probably similar. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, you know, this is in the context of, here we have, like, keep in mind, this is, this is in the context of m wives and husbands. Yeah, because a woman is not to submit to just any random guy. Like that doesn't that doesn't quite fit. She's to submit to her husband, and then to other authorities in her life, whether it's her pastor or elders, or if she's a or her father, if she's you know a child, um, you know. There's all these varying degrees of 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 you know, authority structures in our society, in our world. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, so yeah. Uh, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears, um, 
long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So he creates an argument from nature, basically saying, you know yourself. Like when you observe nature and you observe a man and you observe a woman, you yourself intu- like intuitively know that long hair for a woman is her glory. It's, it's like right. There's something right about a woman having long hair. And there's something right about a man having short hair. And it's, it's by nature. You, you see this. And we talked about like even just the fact that women are able to keep their hair just physiologically and biologically. Um, and men lose their hair a lot quicker. Something by nature, like natural about this. So he makes an argument from nature and saying, because you know from nature that women should long, have long hair, that is proof that now you should display this in, a, in, a, in an external sense of wearing a head covering. And some people go on and they say, well, isn't this saying that that woman's hair is her natural hair head covering and that that means she just shouldn't have a head covering? But that's not that's not what he's saying at all. He, he's he's making this statement that you should have a symbol of authority on your head. And then he goes back and has an argument from nature to prove that nature is telling us that there needs to be some type of external phys- physical uh, visible uh, symbol of authority on her head, which we, we, we would, you know, we might say it's a shawl or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, argument from nature. You know, the other place where Paul uses this argument from nature that's very clear is uh, Romans 1, when he's talking about uh, homosexuality. Like, and women gave up natural relations with men and were consumed with, or what does it say, uh, Men gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Likewise, you know, women gave up natural relations with men. So there's this reality. Like, there is something very obvious about the fact that men, men, uh, sexually are, you know, compatible with a woman. Like, there, there's something very natural about that. It's obvious to the to biology. It's obvious to our eyes. It's obvious. It's just obvious that sexually. A man is supposed to be with a woman, not a man with a man, not a woman with a woman. He's making an argument from nature there. Likewise, he's making an argument from nature here mm-hmm. with hair and uh, a sign of authority. So that that literally wraps up that section. I mean, really, you know, it, it, it's a hard to interpret passage, but at the end of the day, it's really not that hard to interpret. <laughs> so I don't, like uh, it makes sense, though. It fits with the pattern. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? You got any concluding remarks on that passage? Well, no, well, well, I think another insight about it is that, and and it comes out in some of the other passages we'll eventually get to, is that women are to participate in the worship of the church. It's not like yeah. they weren't supposed to, they were supposed to pray. They were supposed to speak truth. We could have a... That's another discussion I'm sure we won't get into here, but, you know, prophesying. Did that mean that, like, God gave her special insight, or does it mean that she was opening the scriptures and making that knowledge clear and known? The -hmm. point is, is there is a place for women to participate in the church. And, uh, you know, again, putting all the pieces on the table. Right. A woman could participate, absolutely. But there was a a way, a means, an order in which to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that whole, this whole section is about order and worship. Like, 
yeah. the way in which they were doing the Lord's Supper, the way in which they were using yeah. their spiritual gifts. It was, it, they were they were not yeah. ordered in it. Yeah, and right. it was chaotic. Yep. And Paul is rebuking them and correcting them for it. Yeah. Um, you know we've gone. I think we've gone. Hour and forty five minutes already in in this yeah. discussion. Yeah, well, we'll have to come back next time. Where what's our next one? First Corinthians. 14? Our next, yeah, First Corinthians fourteen, which fits right into the context scheme. I almost want to hit it, but we tend to be long winded, so we'll probably spend yeah, well, too much time on you it. You know, for the sake of this podcast right now, let's tell people where we're headed, though, Sam. We're 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 yeah. gonna we're gonna deal with a handful. Of pa- we got First Corinthians fourteen. Yep. We got then uh, we'll then we'll hit up. We'll just hit up Galatians three twenty just for a moment, just to show you. You know, this is the text that's most often used to support an egalitarian position. Here's, we take it in context, it is not even close to talking right. about the roles of man. So, so 1 Corinthians 14, Galatians 3. 3, 28. Uh, then we'll go to Ephesians 5, 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3. And then we're going to look at the first pastoral Timothy. epistles. Yeah. Yep, First Timothy, Titus. Right. Um, because there we have both the structure of the leadership of the church yeah. and how that is to be a man's role. Yeah. We have in Titus 2, a, a, a woman's role in ministry. Um, we have, inter- you know, we have great things. And when we also have in 1 Timothy 2, we have a clear, you know, the yeah. the most explicit statement that's made, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Yeah. So we'll we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I just I just quoted it, so it's like, yeah, that's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's where we're going. And then after that, we'll we'll spend some uh, episodes just talking about modern day application. Yeah. Which is so key today. Like this is. Yeah. Holy moly! And it's gonna get serious. Like I I don't want to try to be, I don't want to try to be overly negative, but people are gonna like. We're at the point where if you want to. As a Christian, I mean, as you should, and as you're commanded to, you're supposed to live in accordance to your your design as a man and a woman, and and how a husband and a wife are to operate. And we're getting to a point now to where if you are to live that way according to God's design, you might get fired from your jobs, you might get you might get put in jail. You, like honestly, we're to that point now where there's going to be some serious consequences. This isn't just a quick reshuffle of the way you operate in in the home this is like this could mean you get fired yeah it's 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 kind of a big deal yeah yeah it definitely so, is that yep yep so we'll get to that we'll talk about some application stuff and you know i thought i thought that we were going to get to first corinthians 14 and galatians 3 in this episode but as as often proved um, we are long-winded, and we talk more than we think. Well, we're yeah. Well, we get off on these, and they're not really tan- these tangents. Well, I want to say they're not even tangents, right? Because we we just kind of get off on an application or something important in the interpretation. Yep. And we did yep. definitely definitely spent ten or fifteen minutes kind of segueing back into. We did. Yeah. Because we, we've we, taken a little bit of a break on the series, so we wanted yeah. to catch ourselves get yeah. ourselves back up, even so, for our own. It was good for me to even just articulate where we've been so I can get back on track here. Yeah. So <laughs> actually, when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we probably can do 14 and maybe, a, you know, like Ephesians 5 or Galatians 3 pretty, you know, in, in one podcast, we can touch on those scriptures pretty quick. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. Next time. Huh? And okay. Next time. There we go. So thanks for listening to this episode. It, again, if you uh, if you have learned something, if you enjoy it, I, I encourage you to share it with a friend. 
Um, and yeah, we just we just hope that this uh, that the clear teaching of Scripture can you know move forward, speed ahead, and and affect hearts. And this is just really relevant to today. So don't be ashamed <laughs> to teach to, to share this stuff with others. Don't be ashamed to 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 speak what the Bible says. You know, I I, I was just talking to Dan. Uh, a book just came out that's called not, "Live Not by Lies." which is a pretty powerful statement really just taken by itself. Like live not by lies. Don't live in a lie. Don't perpetuate a lie when you know it's a lie. If you know that this is how God has designed man and woman, then you are to live that way. You are to speak that way. You are to not live and capitulate to lies. You're not. Like when a a man comes up to you and tells you that he's a woman, sorry, no, you're not. You're a man. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to live like that. And I'm not going to pretend that you're a woman when you're a man. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Put me in jail. I don't care. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll share the gospel in jail then. John Bunyan spent a number of years in jail. When are you going to recant? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to. You know, I just get a kick out of this too. Like California, like, oh, we're going to put John MacArthur in jail because he's, you know, he's not submitting to the the regulations on church meetings and all that stuff. And it's like, Good grief. That guy probably wants to be put in jail. You put him in jail, he's going to convert everybody. In the- <laughs> you know, you know I, I, watched <laughs> like an in, I watched an interview with him, and they asked him something similar to that, what you just said. And he says, well, yeah. on, to, on to the next adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, that's why, that's why Christianity, true Christianity, is it, like it is, the, it is the, the enemy of a communistic totalitarian state. You can't control a Christian. Yeah, you can't control a Christian. Put him in jail. What's he going to do? He's going to spread his message in the jail. Well, that was the Put problem. Wherever you want. Well, that was the conflict in the first century, right? They wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar, saying, "Yeah, Caesar's right? God." They're like, "No, you're not the only." Yeah, you know, you, you're important and you have authority in this Roman government, but you're not God. No, and I I obey God over yeah, man. Yeah, I walk to a beat of a different drum, and so. Yeah. Kill me, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. And honestly, I mean, you know what? That's a really interesting thing, Sam, because I don't even walk to the drumbeat of what the church says necessarily. If the church doesn't align with what God says, right? which has happened throughout history. like well, That's why you had the Reformation. Yeah, a lot of these corrections have been corrections against the ecclesiastical body at the time who... Yep. was not holding to the holding the line. They weren't holding line That's as an older friend of mine, a good dear friend of mine says, "Dan, hold the line. Hold the line." Yep. You know, cuz I, yep. you know, I've had some of these conversations that I've like, "No, I think I think you're wrong. I, I respect you. I respect your position, but you I think you're wrong." Yep. In fact, not even think you're wrong. I know you're wrong. And so yeah. <laughs> No, really. I mean, there's a way to approach that kindly and graciously and and you know, but no, you're wrong on this. You're wrong. And so it's interesting, though, in the history of the church, there have been these movements where it was the church that needed to be corrected. Yeah. And yep. and this is, you know, and it was, it took somebody, you know, you think about it throughout history, really. This is, you say Reformation, but you, say, well, you know, you know, Luther or Calvin or Knox or any of these guys, they, they were not liked. They weren't liked. No. But by the ecclesiastical bodies, by the church bodies, they weren't liked. Correct. And I don't want to just, do that to say I'll be macho and pretend like you know out of my own pride. None of us wanted should do that. You know it shouldn't be out of our pride. Hey, I'm standing against this thing. Look at me. Well, that's just that's just as prideful. That's that's wrong. Right. Right. But but where you really do see 
a movement against the scripture, God, we have to stand. And so yep. in light of this thing, I, I do think this thing's a big thing. I, I actually, that's why I was willing to do this podcast with you, Sam, is because right. I think this discussion of manhood and womanhood is not a trite thing. I think it's a big thing because it has to do with what do we believe our scriptures or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, that's, that's, it's oh, a big, really? it's a big, it's a big issue to me because, and it's amazing to me, you know, again, I've been in enough conversations. People are, are kind of surprised when I go, Oh no, no, this is a big deal. Yep. It's a huge deal. And, and again, the big deal to me is God has spoken on this issue and yep. Spoken I, clearly. And so the question then comes, I had to talk to a pastor this morning as we just ad lib here, I guess you call it. Um, yeah. But I thought it was interesting. He said he had a young woman in his office who was struggling with um, the fact that, that uh, people go to hell. And she was mm. str struggling with this concept, which is a fair, I'm glad. I'm glad somebody's sensitive and, you know, they obvi mm -hmm. obviously have a soft, wonderful heart probably. But the question he first had to ask her, so here's my question. He, he said, he told me, if the Bible clearly teaches it, are you willing to accept it? Yeah. Because the first step is, did God speak on this? And if he spoke on it, what did he say? Yeah. And, and if he did, will you submit to what God said? Or I just don't like this concept, so I won't accept it. Right. See, and I think it's the same thing here. It's a lot of these issues. Like, like, like I didn't make this up. I didn't come up with this. I'm not pulling this out, again, you know, out of a hat somewhere. I have to go, wait a minute. If God intended this, and everything right. God does is good, in fact, scripturally very good, then there has real intentional reasons even why God did this. And I don't even need to know those reasons to say, no, I need to obey God. But it is fascinating to me that he gives us plenty of reasons why he does what he does. Oh, yeah. And if I deviate... <laughs> And, and, and if you deviate from this pattern, so here would be one, maybe we brought it up in another podcast. I found this absolutely fascinating. Again, I know statistics, somebody will say, well, you can do anything you want with statistics, but this seems to be a pretty accurate number. It's fascinating. So we have this thing called the pill, right? That, yep. get, that is birth control. And there's probably good reasons for it and blah, 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 maybe. But here's the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. At the end of the day, it was touted as this empowers women with their own reproductive life. Yeah. But what it also did, if you really look at the numbers and you step back and step back, is it made women victims of men because now men can have unfettered sex with no consequence. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, for a man to engage in sex, man, man I, I can't, I'm going to get a woman pregnant and I'm not ready to be a dad. Right. There were there was something there that said this is serious business. Now there's, there's just, a lot of we can get into that. Yeah, we're gonna get into it with the application stuff. Right. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So there's just the moral aspect, you know, you're not to engage in this, but the fact of the matter is there's this reality that was before guys, before the pill, let's say before the guys, that stood before a guy's mind that's like, wait a minute, I can't I, I there's a consequence for this. Well Yeah. You were, they, in a sense, because of the pill, removed the consequence. Yeah. And so now it allowed men, in the nature of men and women, to, if you will, manipulate women to be their, sex, yep. to be their sexual objects. Right. And with no consequence. Right. And it put women in a victim situation once again. The very thing that said to empower them actually made them victims. I that stuff is fascinating, you guys. And yeah, like, we'll get into it because it's it's crazy. It's, it it has a the pill alone has affected so much stuff. 
Yeah. Set, because set, here you have. That's the that's my point. So you go back yeah, and you we'll say. Get to it. So if we were to sit down, kind of have a rational mind, look at all the landscape, you'd say God had right. an incredible plan in place that when we get in step with it, we find not only in the, in and of itself just the blessing of God when we stand before Him, but we actually flourish when we do it God's way. Yeah. Yep. We, we exactly. Flourish. So, all right. Okay. So let's uh, let's wrap up this episode. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, tune into the next one. We'll pick right back up into our survey of these texts and the epistles, and finally get to some application and put a nice bow on it, and then we'll move on to something else. <laughs> okay. But uh, again, thanks for listening. Have a good day. Bye.